everybody. Welcome to this episode of Social Security Talk, where we talk about Social Security and related topics. I'm your co-host, Mark Kiner, in the blue and white uh, sweater with my headphones on. I'm located in a suburb of Cincinnati called Blue Ash, and, and <laughs> Jim Blair is my partner. Hello, Jim. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm hanging right in there, so seems, can't complain. Seems like a warm day in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's not too bad. Jim lives in the uh, suburb of White Oak. Am I correct? Yeah, everything's colorful. You're in blue ash. I'm in white oak. Uh, you got on a blue and white sweater. Oh, that's I have true. I a blue shirt, so yeah. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to turn the ceiling fan on pretty soon. I'm getting a little warm already. Yeah. Anyway, so we're. We are only in the social security space. Jim and I, we do a couple things. Number one, we help folks across the country to understand and maximize their social security benefits by doing a social security uh, consultation with them. Additionally, and we're really proud of this, we educate advisors across the country and we offer the National Social Security Advisor Certificate. After a day of training, advisors take an assessment and after they pass the assessment, they earn our certificate, joining about 2,700 folks across the country that have earned our certificate since we began in 2013. Tim, talk about what we focus on when we teach our class. Well, we focus on Social Security, but we cover uh, what people are eligible for. Now, the term we've come up with for all of this is situational Social Security. And why is that? That's because everybody's situation is different. Just this week, I've talked to some folks who had talked to their neighbors about things. Turns out their neighbors weren't right. So uh, you don't want to just take advice from your neighbor. Free advice is generally worth what you pay for it. So situational Social Security means your situation is different than everybody else's. And it's, it's going to vary. It may be a slight variance. But everybody's just going to be a little different. And we also uh, cover those probing Social Security questions to uh, so your clients can get more money out of the Social Security system. Sometimes, Jim, I believe asking the right questions is just as important as understanding situational Social Security. You know, Jim, one situation that seems to be dwindling is that restricted application. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. It's uh, dwindling pretty fast, but there are still people out there that are eligible to take advantage of it. And if you can take advantage of it, it can be a great strategy. So we don't just want to write it off just quite yet. Uh, we've got till the end of this year before we're going to do that. But the restricted application for those born by 1-1 of 1954 can still be a great strategy that they can use when they're planning their Social Security benefits. What does the restricted application allow you to do? It allows you to restrict the benefits that you file for. What that means is you don't file for your own Social Security benefit. You can file for benefits off of your spouse's work record. Could be an ex-spouse, spouse or an ex-spouse, but you file for those types of benefits leave your own alone, 
And because you're full retirement age, you'll earn what's called delayed retirement credits. And that means your benefit increases 8% a year for each year that you wait. And if you wait until age 70, that's for those folks that are still eligible, that's a 32% increase. So I'm going to increase my benefit by waiting. But in the meantime, I've got money coming in. So, Jim, when was the last time you met with a married couple whereby one of the one of the spouses was born by that magic birthday at 1154 and could have filed that restricted application? It's been a little bit. Uh, certainly used to be a lot more often, but uh, it's probably been about a month, maybe a month and a half since uh, yeah. I, I spoke with someone. But so, go ahead. anybody that you do run into, you want to make sure you understand restricted application. You keep it in your back pocket most yeah. of the time, but there will be times to bring it out and it could be real important to those individuals. So I think, Jim, you basically say seven to eight percent of our married couples uh, would have one spouse that was born by that magic birthday and can file that restricted application. That seems right at this point. You know, a common strategy when you do come across somebody who is able to file the restricted application and let's just assume it's the guy who who's older. Let's just, just assume that for now. A common strategy is for the wife to, to begin her Social Security benefits. Let's assume she's not receiving any. She she should begin hers, assuming she meets all the qualifications, meet her, uh, take her benefits, and go back six months if the, if the possibility and opportunity is there. So she'll get a nice lump sum check for on her benefits. Husband at the same time will file a restricted application, Jim also effective six months ago. So he'll get a nice lump sum check at the same time. So here they both get lump sum uh, checks. And then at age 70, he'll turn around and file for his social security benefits. Does that sound right to you? That is absolutely correct. And it's a great strategy for a lot of people. Not everybody's going to want to take the six months of retroactive benefits, but an awful lot of people do. And getting a big chunk of money is kind of attractive. I know now, I got usually, plenty of use, uses for it. <laughs> you know, usually, Jim, taking a lump sum benefit for six months worth of retro benefits is not really the thing to do because you, you miss out on those delayed retirement credits. And, you know, that's that would be 4%. So your benefits going forward will be 4% less for the rest of your life. And if a spouse is going to collect off you upon death, they'll get less money for the rest of their life also. However, though, in the situation we just talked about, where the wife goes back six months and gets a nice lump check, nice lump sum check, and the husband goes back six months and gets a nice lump sum check by filing that restricted app, in that case, six months worth of retro, retro activity really does make sense. It does. And what you want to look at is the amount of the spouse's benefit, um, because a lot of times, a spouse may think they want to wait past full retirement age to file for their benefit. And in reality, they really don't want to do that. If they're going to end up drawing a spousal benefit when the higher earning spouse files for their Social Security, for every dollar that they increase their benefit by waiting past full retirement age, they lose a dollar of spousal benefits. So unless their own goes way over that amount, it's usually better to go ahead and, and take their benefit at full retirement age. And then if 
the person they're married to was born by 1154, they can go ahead and do that restricted application. So waiting till 70 isn't for everybody. It is for some people. And that's why everybody's situation is different. Jim, when we record uh, our 2024 videos, I'm going to have to do a major redo, a revamping of a PowerPoint. I'm going to have to take away everything that relates to restricted application next year, right? Oh, that is that is true because uh, by 2024 and, and actually by December of 2023, anybody who is eligible for the restricted application is going to be age 70 and there's no reason to file the restricted app uh, at that point. So starting next year, the restricted application is on its way out. Let's uh, switch topics, Jim. I gave a social security workshop last night to the clients of an investment firm. And I confused the dickens out of everybody when I said something, when I was trying to explain something. And not only did I confuse them, but I confused myself and my face turned red. <laughs> like, what am I talking about? So, so basically, Jim, upon the passing of an individual, let's assume the wife, no, the husband passes away first. The wife will step more or less step into his shoes at her full retirement age. Is that a fair comment to make? Yeah, that's, that's probably more, that happens more often than not. So she steps into his shoes at her full retirement age for surviving spouse benefits. She'll get 100% of what he was receiving or eligible to receive at death. And we all know she can take that benefit as early as age 60, but it's going to be reduced, right, Jim, by how much? At age 60, it's reduced 28.5%. Okay. Now, that's not the confusing part. What's confusing is this. If, if, Somebody passes away, let's say, in, in, in March, April, it's April. Let's say they passed away this month. The question is, under what circumstances will the U.S. Treasury yank the money back out of their bank account? And then you have to file a form to get uh, that benefit back to you. Now, before we answer that question, though, Jim, I want to make sure everybody understands that in order to receive a benefit in the month of April, you must have survived all of March. So you survive all of March and you will receive a benefit in the month of April. But Jim, what if you pass away in April? So let's talk about a couple scenarios because I know you're itching to explain this to everybody out there. Millions and millions and millions of people that listen to our podcast every, every, every month. Okay. So let's assume now that you, you, uh, you pass away prior to receiving your social security benefit. I'm looking at my cheat sheet here. I'm getting confused just answer, ask, asking you the question. So somebody passes away on April 15th and they receive their social security benefit the fourth Wednesday in April. How does that work, Jim? In that case, they, they received their benefit before, uh, or they passed away before their payday. And Treasury is going to assume they were they didn't uh, receive the payment in time and they'll take it out of their bank account and they'll yank it right out of the account that it was deposited in. And what will happen is that someone will need to file an SSA uh, uh, 1724 because 
that benefit is due. That person survived the entire month of March. That payment is due. If there is a a, a spouse who a surviving spouse who was eligible for benefits, a living with surviving spouse eligible on that person's work record, they're first in line. Uh, also, if there's uh, no one in that situation, if there are children receiving benefits off of the deceased record, they're next in line. Uh, if none of those, if there's a parent that's eligible, they're third in line. Fourth in line would just be a regular spouse not entitled to any benefits on the deceased individual's work record. And then if uh, the next in line is any children. So uh, push comes to shove, it's even the estate. Uh, all this is explained on the form, so you don't have to remember that. Just remember that if they take the benefit out of the account, you're going to need to file that form. If you don't remember the form number, uh, then Social Security knows what it is. But you could even Google uh, benefits do a deceased beneficiary, and it should give you uh, a link to that form, uh, SSA uh, 1724. So, Jim, if somebody passes away before they receive a Social Security benefit, before they receive it, and they're going to receive it during the year. I'm at, in the month. They're going to get it. The U.S. Treasury will pull that money back, and in order for a, an heir to receive it, they have to fill out a form SSA seventeen twenty four. That is correct. All right. Let's look at the other example. Uh, you received the benefit in the uh, second Wednesday in April. You pass away a week later. So you you. You, you pass away after you receive the Social Security benefit payment. What happens then? Yeah, Treasury is not going to take that back because the person that it was payable to had access to it before they died. So they got that money. Who knows? They may have already spent it. Uh, well, well, not, not, no, Jim, it's not like who knows. They already did spend yeah. it. <laughs> well, you know, well, bread costs a fortune nowadays. That is true. So they're not going to take that out of their account because the person who was due the benefit actually received it. They were alive when it was when it was deposited in their account. They received it. They had access to the money. There's no reason for Treasury to take it back. So last night when I was giving this workshop, Jim, if all I said was. Upon the, the death of an individual, the surviving spouse will step into his or her own shoes. I would have been just fine. Nobody would question that. But since I tried to explain the difference of passing away before you receive a benefit or passing away after, I really got into a whole lot of hot water. I really wish you were with me at, the, at that time. Because <laughs> everybody else was wishing you were there too. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Jim, let's continue our discussion on surviving spouses. There's a provision that's, does, that applies to everybody else but does not apply to surviving spouses. What provision am I referring to? Well, that would be deemed filing. And what deemed filing says is if you apply for benefits, an application for benefits is an application for all benefits. So if you apply for retirement, you're applying for any spousal benefit that you do or any ex-spousal benefit that you do. In fact, if when you file that application for retirement, you're also filing for those other benefits whenever you become eligible for them. 
So maybe someone files on their own today, but their spouse hasn't applied yet, so they're not eligible for the spousal boost. Six months down the road, their spouse applies for benefits. Now they have to take the spousal benefit at that point. Their original application requires that they go ahead and take the spousal benefit as soon as they're eligible for it. So it gets a little confusing for folks, but an application for one benefit is an application for all benefits. That does not apply to uh, survivor benefits. If you apply as a widow, widower, or surviving divorced spouse, that application is not controlled by deemed filing. So technically, I don't want to confuse anybody, but you're filing a restricted application. You're filing only for survivor benefits or only for your retirement benefits and not the survivor benefit. Uh, and, And then that allows you to take maybe the lower benefit at the beginning, which may be reduced for age. And then when you reach full retirement age, or if you're waiting on your own, even age 70, uh, and you can then wait to take that benefit, and it'll be at a much higher rate. So, Jim, let's have a little bit of fun. Let's assume I'm married. Uh, When my wife files for benefits, she will take her benefits first. And then if she's eligible for a spousal boost off my work record, she must take that at the same time. Am I right? That is correct. That's Dean Filing, and we all know Dean Filing is not a friend. So let's now uh, talk a little more about surviving spouse spouse benefits and what they are eligible for. So a surviving spouse is not subject to deemed filing. So we've already determined that. So they have some options available to them, like you were talking about earlier. I just want to emphasize that that's all, that are uh, available to them. They're not available to some other folks. So one option is for a surviving spouse to take a surviving spouse benefit as early as age 60 and then switch to their own benefit as late as age 70. That's a very common strategy, and their benefit will grow for those delayed retirement credits. So if they're full retirement age 67 and they wait to age 70, now their own benefit is grown by 24%. The other strategy that you alluded to earlier is that a surviving spouse will take their own benefit at age 62. Take a haircut, though. It's going to be reduced for age. And then, Jim, when they turn their full retirement age for for uh, widow uh, for widow for surviving spouse benefits, they can they can then switch to those benefits. Let's assume that might be age 67. That, that is correct. Uh, and and so you take a benefit that's reduced, but then when you reach full retirement age. You can switch to the other benefit unreduced, or if it's if you're going to switch to your own work record, you as you said, you can wait to age 70. Not only is it not reduced for age, but it's increased for delayed retirement credits. I was talking with Harold a couple of nights ago. We were kind of uh, watching uh, a baseball game together, and did Harold tell me? Oh, Harold told me this, Jim. Please confirm if he's right. He told me that a surviving spouse is not subject to the annual earnings test. So they could earn maybe $100,000 and not lose any benefits at all. What say you about that? Yeah, uh, once again, Harold's incorrect. Uh, Surviving spouses, widows, widowers, surviving divorced spouse, 
they're still subject to the earnings test if they are not yet full retirement age. Ah, Harold is with us when we teach our, our eight-hour class. And folks, he's a party animal. There's no doubt about that. He's always partying someplace. But he doesn't give the best advice. So, so if you're at a cocktail party or Super Bowl party and Harold is trying to tell you something, <laughs> please run away as, as fast as he can. Jim, uh, I was going to say there, there must be something else I'm missing about surviving spouses, but I can't think of what it is offhand. Oh, well, let me ask you this question. Can you apply for a surviving spouse benefit, Jim, online? Well, unfortunately, no. Uh, you, that's one of the, the benefits, that and children's benefits. Right now, it's not available oh. online. So you have to do that with the local office. You can call the Social Security 800 number, 800-772-1213, and make an appointment, and you can make that appointment for someone at the local office to call you and do it over the phone, or if you prefer, you can walk into the office and have an in-office appointment, uh, but you cannot file that one online. Jim, I know what I wanted to mention earlier, that benefit matrix document. When I talk to somebody on the phone and I found out they are a surviving spouse, I tell them to contact Social Security and request the benefit matrix. What would the benefit matrix show? Well, it shows the amount of benefits you're eligible for on your own work record, and in this case, also as a surviving spouse. And the nice thing about the matrix is it shows it at each month. You don't have to do a lot of figuring or guessing. Uh, it will show the full retirement age amount at the top in the heading. It'll do that for the the person for their retirement plus the record they're filing the or are eligible to file the survivor benefit on. And then it would show, for instance, 60, 61 months, 60 and two months. If you start benefits at those points, how much your benefit would be. So it allows someone to compare their own retirement to their survivor benefit. And that way it makes it a lot easier to figure out what's the most advantageous way for them to apply for benefits. I think, Jim, what you said makes definitely makes a whole lot of sense. So so if you're looking to, to uh, look at your options, if you're a surviving spouse, contact Social Security. Their national number is 800-772-1213 and request the benefit matrix form document. It's possible that the representative you talk to may not know what the benefit matrix form is. Report. It's a report. However, though, they have them and they should be able to print that out and give it to you. All right, Jim, I really thought this discussion, this podcast today went well. I always think our podcasts go well, but we, yeah. we really did focus on surviving spouses and, you know, also what happens when somebody passes away. Do they receive, can they keep that benefit a payment or not? And we really cleared that up. I'm much clearer on that now than I tell you, Jim, that, that I was last night when I gave my, my presentation. So anyway, just to repeat uh, for you free folks what we do, our company is called Premier Social Security Consulting, and we do a couple of things, and we do it very, very well. We provide social security consultations. So when advisors are meeting with clients and questions come up about social security claiming strategies, we will do a consultation. Our fee is about 550 to do that. 
and that includes a written report, consultation with the big guy, Jim Blair, uh, follow-up questions, and we will help clients file for benefits online. It's a package deal. It's 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 uh it's the same uh fee for married couple or single individual. Just makes my life easier because I don't have to guess how much to charge. Also, we educate advisors across the country by offering uh, the National Social Security Advisor Certificate. Our training is done three ways, live in-person class, live webinar, and taped on-demand videos. And our tuition will range between $795 to $1,095, depending on the format, and includes gold standard of support. That means you can give me a buzz. You can send me an email with any questions you have. And believe me, Jim, you and I get questions all the time. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and also, not only that, but you could attend our monthly webinars and our social security open forums. Definitely. We are, we have a lot to offer you. Jim, uh, I tell you, the support that we offer is just is excellent, isn't it? I think so. Uh, we get questions uh, by email, by telephone every day. Uh, when our advisors are meeting with their clients, Questions come up and they need answers to those. And we try to make sure we provide that for them. So, yeah, I agree with that. Don't hesitate to connect with us. Uh, connecting with me is a bit easier than trying to reach out to Jim. <laughs> my email address is mkiner at mypremierplan.com. My website is premiernssa.com. That's Nancy Sam, Sam Apple. Additionally, my phone number is 513. 513- Two one eight eight five zero five. That is my direct number. You can reach me anytime during day or night. Sometimes, though, I do have the uh, privilege of not answering the phone, basically ignoring it. So if you call and I don't pick up, I will call you back. I guarantee it. You've been listening to Social Security Talk with Mark Kiner and with Jim Blair. Jim, any final comments you'd like to make? Uh, Social Security is an important topic. It affects almost everybody. So you want to make sure you're up on it. And if you don't know the exact answer, you know where to get it. So that's real important. Thank you, everybody. Until next time, over and out. 